Today's scripture is a little different than what it says in the bulletin. I went to breakfast on Friday and I said to Sandy, Brian gives me one verse. I like to read one verse. Anyway, she called <laughs> told me, well, he really wants you to read the whole chapter. Really? A whole chapter? Okay. <laughs> so, it is from Psalm 16 and it'll be verses 1 through 11. Read with me from Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no thing, no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. This is the word of the Lord. Just so we don't start a trend here whenever I preach, do not be petitioning Sandy for more scripture reading if you're a liturgist. No, it's my pleasure to give Jen more to read because it actually occurred to me as I was working through this more to, that I wanted the entire psalm to be read. But let's, let me back up a second. Last week, um, Pastor Nick was talking about heroes, and he asked for us to name some of our heroes. And I had one in mind that I was going to say, but all of a sudden I hear Superman, I hear Spider-Man, I hear superheroes. I even heard Lassie at some point over here. Um, but all these superheroes, I, I was going to then say, Abraham Lincoln was my hero as a child, but I thought that just sounded really nerdy compared to everything else. But one of the superheroes that I did not hear mentioned last week was Iron Man, who became popular in the last uh, 10 to 15 years through the Marvel movies with Robert Downey Jr. playing um, the role. But Iron Man is, is a superhero, um, which is it's kind of odd because basically he doesn't have any super ability, Tony Stark, who is the the person who's uh, Iron Man, that's Tony. That's played by Robert Downey Jr. Um, but it's, it's his mind and what he's able to create that allows him to be a superhero and the power. So that thing on the center of his chest, Tony is, Tony Stark, sorry, is um, owner of a company that builds weapons and te- is, is highly technological company. And he's a brilliant guy. And he... Um, was over, this is based on the movie versions, not necessarily the comic books, because no one, when I was a kid, nobody had Iron Man as their hero when I was a child. It's only become popular in the last 10 years. He gets kidnapped, um, or, or his, the convoy he's in um, is, gets under attack, and he, the, uh, one of his own bombs that his company created explodes close to him, sends shrapnel into his chest, and then the, the people who, who attack them kidnap him, 
and there's a doctor there, and the only way that they're able to save him is by creating a cavity in his chest and installing a magnet that keeps the, sh- the shrapnel, which is specially designed to work its way into the body and towards organs, away from his heart, which would kill him. So Tony, in a cave in Afghanistan, is able then to create a, I think it's called the ARC uh, reactor, its own self-contained reactor power source that he's able to use then that keeps the shrapnel away from his heart. But what he also is allo- that allows him to do, the power that's generated by that, allows him to power the Iron Man outfit, allows him to fly, allows him to uh, have weapons that shoot out. He goes supersonic speeds. He has superhuman strength. Uh, all of that is possible because of that power source that he has in the center of his chest that he, he has to wear to keep him alive. That's it. I just wanted to talk about Iron Man. <laughs> so as you know, we're in the middle of a series on joy, and Pastor Nick has been working through the book of Philippians talking about joy, and he gave me an option whether to pick that up or to do something different. I, think, I thought it was better if he continued with, and he agreed, uh, uh, continue with Philippians, and I do something different. So he gave me several suggestions, one of which was Psalm 1611. And after I read that, I thought, wow, that really resonated with me. And it wasn't just the the verse itself, 1611, but the entire psalm. This is a psalm by David. And it's one of the more positive psalms. You know, a lot of times psalms can be a bit on the, the, the downer side. This is an uplifting psalm. We have phrases like, like, my Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I have always set the Lord before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. And then we get to verse 11, which sums it up. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611 is not merely a verse about pleasure. It's a testament to the everlasting relationship between God and his people and the resulting joy that comes from trusting him wholeheartedly. This powerful truth is as relevant today as when first sung by David. Let's dig into it a little bit. You make known to me the path of life. The beginning of the verse signifies a profound recognition. God is the only one who illuminates our path, directing our steps on the journey of life. It is an admission that without God's guidance, we are susceptible to stray off the righteous path. It's the acknowledgement of the Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6 principle. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. David's dependence on God as his guide serves as an example to us, inviting us to seek God's wisdom above our own in every decision we make. God himself reveals the path of life. The second line, in your presence there is fullness of joy. In a world where we often seek joy in material wealth, social status, personal achievements, David redirects our search. He asserts that true, complete joy, joy that is not fleeting or circumstantial, is found in God's presence, 
It is a joy that sustains through trials and tribulations, giving us strength in times of adversity. From Nehemiah 8.10, For the joy of the Lord is my strength. Moreover, it emphasizes the relationship aspect of faith, knowing God, being in his presence, brings a deep, fulfilling joy that surpasses any earthly delight. God's plan for our lives involves fullness of joy in his presence. He wants his will to be accomplished in our lives. The path he makes known, this path of life, involves walking in the presence of God, and in the presence, that presence, there is fullness of joy. That's the path of life, being in God's presence and enjoying the presence of God, fullness of joy. In the Bible, fullness of joy represents rejoicing and a perpetual gladness of the heart that comes from knowing, experiencing, and trusting Jesus. One commenter called it satisfying abundance. It is a celebration of who God is and what he does for us every day. God's plan for your life involves fullness of joy in his presence. Life is found in his presence and living a life that constantly realizing he is with us, leading us, guiding us, directing us. And in his presence, we find that fullness of joy. Simply being in God's presence brings joy into our lives. There is nothing too big for him to conquer and nothing too small for him to care about. Whatever comes our way, God and his presence are always with us. Now, joy is not happiness. The Bible does not promise happiness. In fact, just the opposite. We know that as followers of Jesus, we will face trials and tribulations. Happiness is an emotion. It ebbs and flows based upon our circumstances. Joy, however, is not a fleeting feeling. Here one minute and gone the next. It has nothing to do with our outward circumstances or whether or not we feel happiness in the moment. Instead, joy, true joy, is a loving relationship with the creator of the world that gives us a reason to rejoice, even in the worst of times. It is what we are, joyful. It is what we do, rejoice. There are two ways to be in God's presence and experience this fullness of joy. First, we have an audience with the ruler of the universe through prayer. No matter what time of day it is, we can take our troubles, our concerns, our hardships, our praises to him and find joy in his presence. Second, through the power of the Holy Spirit with us, we are in constant contact with our Heavenly Father. He resides in us and we reside in him. It is a blessing from the Lord to reside with him every day. And because of our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been granted this great honor that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. This is more than just prayer. It's an ongoing dialogue, ongoing praising, daily, hourly. The last line. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The final part of this verse contrasts the secular, often fleeting pleasures of the world with the enduring, eternal pleasure found in God. The right hand is a metaphor in the Bible often referring to strength, honor, and authority. So when David speaks of the pleasures of God's, at the pleasures of God's right hand, he is referencing the ultimate blessings, peace, and satisfaction 
that come from living under the authority of God. These pleasures are not just for a moment, a season, or a lifespan, but rather they are forevermore. This enduring pleasure begins now in this life, points us towards the hope of eternity in God's presence, a pleasure that is incomparable to anything else. So if I had to summarize Psalm 1611, it would be this. God reveals the path of life to me, which starts by being in his presence, which results in a joy that is full. And that fullness of joy is a part of the pleasures we receive from beginning at the right hand of God, being at the right hand of God, starting now in this life, then multiply beyond our ability to imagine through all eternity. There you have it. I think that's the shortest sermon I've ever given. You know there's more. As I was going through this, it, it, I kept having something in the back of my head saying, Jesus said something about joy and fullness. I, I know I've heard that someplace before, so I thought, I better go and look for this. So I searched, and what I found was John fifteen eleven. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy in you May, may be in you and that your joy may be full. Does that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound a little bit like Psalm 1611 that we just read? That's what I thought. It seemed to me that these verses go together. And I wonder, as Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, whether he had Psalm 1611 in mind. So let's take a closer look at what Jesus said here. These things I have spoken to you. What things? And, and why did he speak them? And this is the ESV version, but the NIV says, so that my joy, so that that includes a so. So it's so that my joy. So he's speaking these things to you so that his joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. But what are these things? So let's back up and put verse 11 into context. Jesus is speaking these words on the night of the Last Supper, before he's been betrayed. This night takes up several chapters in John's Gospel. Jesus is taking the opportunity to pass along a lot of information, things that he wants his disciples to hear before his death and resurrection. So I think Jesus is referring to all that he has said up to them to this point. Things like, I am the way and the truth and the life. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. These are declarations and commandments that are foundational to being a follower of Jesus. And these are all things, these are just some of the things he said that night to his disciples. But what I want to focus on here is what he said just prior to verse 11 when he said, these things I have spoken to you. For one reason, they clearly would be included in these things because he, talked, he, he talks about le- write, write them before then. 
And then secondly, because there seems to be a time gap between when he says these things and the things he said before. At the end of chapter 14 in John, it closes with Jesus saying, Rise, let us go from here. So they have left the upper room where they had finished the Passover meal and were somewhere else when Jesus starts speaking in verse 15. So let me read for you from chapter 15, verses 1 up to verse 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that, you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Do you notice anything repetitive? In those verses. In those 11 verses, Jesus uses the word abide nine times. Do you think that might be important? Abide is a verb, it's active, it is something we do or Jesus does. It's to remain or stay continually. It is so much larger than the idea of ongoing belief in Jesus. It is not simply acknowledging who Jesus is, but rather it means to remain close where relationship is sustained, relying on the Lord in every aspect of our lives. Jesus compares himself to the vine and the disciples to the branches. A branch has to remain physically connected to the vine or it dies. There is a vital connection. Clearly, this passage could be its own sermon and even a sermon series. So I'm not going to try to get into too much of that today. Let me just summarize this verse as it relates to having joy. If Jesus abides in us and we abide in him, that is, we stay connected to him, we will bear much fruit. Good deeds, the acts that God has provided for us, the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, love. No. Love, joy, peace. I, I had this right before I got up here. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Fruit of the Spirit, but it's more than that. It, like I said, it's the good works that God has created, planned for us to do. But the true fruit of being in Jesus, of abiding in Jesus, is being like Jesus, having his characteristics, acting like he would act, responding like he would respond. The key to abiding in Christ, 
The key is to abide in Christ and obey his commandments. Okay, back to verse 11. So Jesus has told them and us these things. So now what? So why? That my joy may be in you and your joy be full. Not that you have joy or not that you have a joy like mine, but he says, my joy. Jesus repeats this saying later in that same evening in John 17, 13. Jesus is praying to God on behalf of his disciples as well as on behalf of all who hear the gospel from them and become followers, us. Jesus says, But now I am coming to you, meaning God, and these things I speak in the world that they, his disciples and us, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Look at where this takes place and when it does. Remember, they've left the upper room and are headed towards Gethsemane. They probably pass a vineyard along the way, which then leads to the discussion of the vine and the branches. And when you think about it, this is a strange time for Jesus to be talking about joy. In less than 24 hours, he will have been brutally tortured and killed, and he knew that this was going to be happening. How unique the Lord's joy must have been if it still remained with him at that time of such great trial and testing. Jesus submitted to the will of God the Father. As Paul wrote in Philippians 2.8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He knew what the outcome would be that even though he would suffer and die, he would be raised from the dead to sit at the right hand of God the Father, having provided a way for all that believe in him and follow him to be reconciled with God, having forever paid the penalty for our sins, that we would be granted his righteousness through a belief in him. It is that joy that he wants us to have so that it will make our joy full. Living a life in the fullness of Christ's joy produces fruit. That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. A joy that will sustain you. A joy that will allow you to face anything that this world can throw at you. Will there be sadness? Yes. Will there be mourning and loss? Yes. But that sadness will not overwhelm you when you have the joy of Christ in you. For Christians, joy is a state of being, something that remains inside of you no matter what is going on in our lives. That's because the source of that joy resides within us. We receive our joy from the creator of joy, the Lord Jesus. With gladness and rejoicing, we can enter into the presence of God day or night and find fullness of joy. Just simply because we know Jesus, he abides in us. The scriptures impress upon us the importance of building our joy on the truth of who Jesus is and not on anything we may find in the world. Now, we may not feel joy all the time, but we, do ha- but we don't have to look far to find it because God has promised that in his presence there is fullness of joy. So maybe that wasn't such a strange time for Jesus to be talking to his disciples about joy. Perhaps he wanted them to know as they looked back on that moment that Jesus had joy as he faced what was coming. 
And, th- and by saying that, he let them know that when they faced their trials, that they could have that same joy because it would be his joy in them. Jesus is the true meaning of fullness of joy. So, if you're not experiencing this joy, or you find that it comes and goes like an emotion rather than a state of being, and you, or you don't experience that fullness of it at all times, you may need to ask yourself some questions such as these. Are you spending time in the presence of God? Are you in relationship with Jesus, not just a belief in him? Are you living in obedience to his words? Are you, are you abiding in Jesus? Or maybe you've invited Jesus in, but not all the way in, keeping him at your side where he's conveniently close and available, but not letting him in to take up residence to abide in you. Deep down, abiding joy of Christ can only be had by having him. The hallmark of our Christian life should be joy and love. Just like the way we love one another should distinguish us from the world, our lives should exhibit a joy that is full and different from anything else in the world. It should be attracting people to Christ. Our lives full of joy. Christian joy is Christ's joy in a Christian. Let me say that again because it sounds very similar. Christian joy is Christ's joy in a Christian. That abiding presence of Jesus in our lives. So maybe Iron Man's not quite as unrelated to this as I thought. If you think of the power source that Tony Stark has that allows him to live, right? Without that power source, he would die. That power source abides in him. And what it allows him to do through that power source is unbelievable. But it's only because of that power source. So if you haven't picked up on the analogy yet, that power source is the Holy Spirit, right? That's Jesus in our lives. And through Jesus abiding in us, like Tony Stark's power source, his arc reactor, it empowers us to do great things for Christ. Through that, through his abiding in us, our joyful life, as we go out into the world and live a life as a follower of Jesus. So, I said before about how I felt like Psalm 1611 and and John 1511 fit together. So I'd like to kind of pair them up now and see how this works out. From Psalm 1611, you make known to me the paths of life. And from John 1511, These things I have spoken to you. Jesus' commands, the things that he's told us, his statements, make us know the path of life. You want to know what path you're on? Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. Are you following his commandments? Are you obeying him? It's easy to get off on it, to get sidetracked and get off the path. Look ahead. Is Jesus, are you following Jesus or something else? 
Next section from Psalm 1611. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And from John 1511. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Since Jesus abides in us and we in him, we are in his presence. That presence is always with us. And that joy that he gives us is full. It makes our joy full. And lastly, from Psalm 1611. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, you have to give me a little bit of liberty. John 15, 11 is a little shorter. It doesn't quite match up. But there's other verses from John 15 that I think fit here. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And also, whoever abides in me and I in him, he that it is, bears much fruit. To abide in the presence of Jesus' love, of God's love, and to bear fruit through his presence in us? Is there a greater joy on this earth than that? Is there a greater pleasure on that? Being able to have the, the living God reside in us, directing our ways, providing us opportunities to display that love, that peace, that joy, all those things that manifest themselves in us through the Holy Spirit? I would argue that those are the pleasures at least on this earth, at this time, knowing that they will be multiplied beyond our imagination when we're finally with God through eternity. This all is possible through a following of Christ and obeying his commands, which is why this, this sermon was titled Joy in Obedience. My friends, I... I, I close with this um, acknowledgement that it's not easy. We all struggle with it. And we all don't f- experience that fullness of joy all the time. But, it's po- but it is possible. There is possible to have a joy in, in Christ that is full and alive and displayed for everyone who sees who's around you. People should know that you're a Christ follower through the joy in your life and through the love that you share. Amen.